You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha, and this week's episode is a deep dive into the mind of multidisciplinary artist Deval Timothy. I think the best music has a confidence to allow for space, and it's like a great narrator will tell a story, they have you hanging on edge, and they're not not using words that mean nothing they're not swearing because you know you don't need to that's the thing you do when you're nervous and you're not confident in what you're saying so i guess as much as possible i'm trying to say like this is it this is enough not every track has to have a vocal to be seen living between freetown in sierra leone and london deval's practice is centered around color and spans painting sculpture photography and a catalogue of music that displays a clear affinity to the piano. He's contributed to records for Solange and Lil Kana and is a frequent collaborator of Mika Levy, Vegan and Twin Shadow. Deval's new record, titled Help, is on the way and ahead of its release on his own label Carrying Colour. We discussed storytelling without words, building a studio in Sierra Leone and his commitment to only wearing blue clothing. You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. My name is Martha and I'm really excited to be spending some time getting to know Deval Timothy this afternoon. Hi Deval. Hi Martha. Uh, Thanks for joining me. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me on. So we are still in the middle of a pandemic, which means that we're not in the studio together right now. So please set the scene for everyone listening. Where are you right now and how is today panning out? Um, So I'm just at the crib. um, Yeah, working with my partner in the same room. I've got... I got like a kind of little home studio set up here. I've got the piano. We live in a small studio, so it's kind of everything in one room. Today, we're going to learn about your new album, Help, and we're going to get a better understanding of your artistry overall, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. So before we get into talking about your current work, um, please could you take me all the way back? And I was wondering if you'd be up for sharing with us your earliest memory connected to sound or music. Um, so... I can't, I'm not really sure what my first, first memory is, but um, I've got quite vivid memories of, it's actually not that young, but being, I don't know how old we were, maybe like six or six or seven or something. And uh, being really excited, uh, me and my brother and sister were here. Um, our dads had this one two-pack record, um, I Ain't Mad At You. And basically like on like a Sunday morning, you used to pump, tunes would be like mostly Miles Davis and kind of jazz stuff um but he put on this two-pack record one time and we kind of couldn't believe what we were hearing we used to like run down and dance and sing and we couldn't believe our dad was playing like cool music um so yeah that was, that was one of the earliest ones <laughs> so what did your dad normally play if he didn't always play cool music uh I mean it he's a bit of a smoothie he listens to a lot of like Miles Davis um Charlie Parker and Coltrane stuff like that like UB40 um obviously like bits of Michael Jackson stuff like that um uh who was it uh David Gray that was that was like a big album when we were young yeah stuff like that 
And one thing that I've noticed like in the music that you have released is um, this really strong relationship to storytelling, which really comes across. Mm. And I was just wondering, seeing as we're talking about growing up, um, have you always had a strong relationship to stories and storytelling and listening and sort of what part did those things play in your childhood? Um, I guess it's something like I always, I've always enjoyed consuming stories and um I suppose like musically um just being like a real hip-hop head I guess it always felt like you know when you're listening to music you're absorbing stories of people's lives and what they're going through and stuff like that um but I kind of I actually think of myself as on the other side of uh I'm not very good in a literary sense or um even I feel like the way my mind works is a bit more like a uh logical mathematical mind rather than storytelling literary like I always struggled with English and history and like those sorts of things um but in terms of like music I guess uh I started to notice all of the thing things that are like seemingly unintentional in music um like the soundscaping things uh the sound of a room uh like doors closing and um Obviously, on the the WhatsApp track that I have from my Senam records, uh, I got this voice note from a friend in Sierra Leone after I'd returned to London, um, and like just hearing that voice note transported me to that space in Grafton, like hearing the crickets in the background, hearing everything. Um, so I guess I I started to just realise the power of sound and place, and um, maybe like not overt storytelling, but. Uh, you know just giving hints of things you're almost um you're putting it there for for the listener but they they're creating it in their own mind but they, you take them to this space i kind of enjoy that mm. process i guess mm. how would you say you develop those skills to like tell stories without words i guess like there's the it's kind of hard to explain like articulate but like in Obviously in music there's a there's a a lot of music has a general trajectory of um just uh I suppose like a build up um towards this climax and then a kind of release after that and this that's a that's a, a story in a in a sense, you know, you have this kind of like beginning, middle and end and, and maybe there's a, a switch up or a crazy drop or um but there's often like that narrative that's it's, a, it's like an emotional narrative I guess um which I suppose I like in so I, I play the piano as my like primary tool I guess in making music and um I'd always employ that thing of starting well I'd be freestyling and I'd, I'd make a chord progression that I love and I feel like maybe this is a song um and actually the process of making is like I'll reduce that chord progression back down to um the individual bass note and maybe a melody note and slowly introduce other notes until I reach the starting point I was already at and then um like on the record brown loop then that kind of winds back so it's almost a really simple loop trajectory of just climbing this mountain and going back down at the other side mm. and you mentioned the um, voice note from your friend in Freetown really transporting you there um do you live between the UK and Sierra Leone or mostly here? Yeah, I do. I'm I'm mostly here in London, but um 
I've got a house um, which was a family. It was my great grandmother's family place in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Um, which over the past five years, um, I've been spending three or four months of each year out there, mostly in the dry season. Uh, and yeah, I've recently been converting that house into a home for me and my partner, like a place that friends can visit, and also starting to build a studio in one of the downstairs spaces, um, which basically is it's a place for me to make um, a place for friends or like maybe more like international collaborators to come and do a project, um, but also a resource for local musicians and people I know there to be able to kind of just lay vocals and simple things. It's a basic setup of just a preamp, some monitors, um, microphones, um, and people will come with their laptop and plug into Fruity Loops. And it's, it's uh, I mean, such thing, a simple setup like that that we take for granted here is, quite a major resource for some people in Freetown so it's kind of nice to be able to offer that to people yeah mm. um so you mentioned the piano there uh would you be able to tell me a bit more about learning instruments and your kind of early relationship to the piano and how that relationship has developed over the years uh yeah um so I guess like my parents were keen for me and my siblings to like learn an instrument when we were young uh so I, initially I actually just chose uh the violin I said I'll, I'll play that and then I had this funny story of like this amazing um Russian violinist who was living in the area in Broccoli uh he came around to the house willing to give me lessons and like they they told me to put the you know they told you to put a sponge under the the violin and put it on your shoulder uh, for, for some reason I was super averse to I was like I don't need I don't need to put a sponge like you know it's like wet kitchen sponge I was like I don't need that like it's already got that guard and I kind of kicked off I was super young I don't know how old I was must have been like seven or eight um anyway I got in a strop and started crying and ran off I was like I'm not putting a sponge on my shoulder um so like second time around I decided I wanted to learn a piano um and I guess maybe I was I felt like I was like eight or nine years old um I had on and off lessons um with kind of teachers in the local area some that will come to their house or I go to their house um I would say like as a kid I I struggled a bit with um I never I never managed to read music um and the I was just like usual technical strict things that you're meant to do like how you're supposed to hold your hand I kind of always found that a bit annoying and I'd but I enjoyed playing and basically every two weeks, three weeks, I'd be able to play a little Eric Satie melody or something like that. And um, yeah, I I went through a bunch of teachers and had periods where I wasn't playing at all. And then I think when I was maybe like 13 or 14, um, a good friend, Katie from school, she insisted that I play piano for her um, in a talent contest. She was singing Amy Winehouse uh, I think it's you should be stronger than me and I like I, did, I didn't think I was able to play that tune because it's like a banging tune and then I learned the chords and uh, I had this bit of like just kind of an epiphany of how powerful just putting a few chords together could be because before I was just struggling trying to con conquer exactly how to play this written music um, and then from there I would just uh, create my own chords and progressions um, and I just, yeah, I had this 
amazing secret hobby. I didn't really share it with people for a long time, but um, yeah, it's something I love to do, just building chord progressions quite, they're getting increasingly like dense, just using as many fingers as I, as I could basically. So then at, uh, what was it, 2012, I decided to, um, like I'd have these things I would always play. Um, so I was like, let me just kind of document them and ended up making a record called Dukabanti, uh, which I just released on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. And yeah, it was cool. It, like, I mean, had a small good response to it coming out. Um, I felt like those days, I didn't realize it at the time, but like the internet was maybe a more of a freer place. So it just, it didn't blow up or anything. I didn't have any hits on it, but it um, it traveled a bit and I, I was just found myself, you know, speaking to someone, I don't know, someone in Canada, it's like, oh, this is amazing. Um, and yeah, so fr from there, I suppose I, I had a little one one foot in, in music as like a practice as a thing I do. Was that your first experience of sharing music with the wider world? Yeah, 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 that was the first first experience um, I got. Um, my brother, he helped me with um, some of the mixing stuff. So I, I just recorded it on, it's my friend, Hero had a it was like a Marantz dictaphone recorder thing obviously I, I didn't really know what I was doing in terms of like miking up a piano or anything uh so they're pretty rough recordings and my brother Miles um he's he's actually he's been doing music for years he's a grind producer um and so I kind of he helped with as much as he could mixing those rough rough recordings and uh yeah, and then, but I mean, that wasn't, I didn't think of it as a thing until years later when I was doing a food project with friends called The Groundnut. Um, I'd been, I'd basically built up a new collection of things that I play to myself and I felt like I, I've got to let this out. And I went to my parents' house and recorded Brown Loop. Um, and then that was the first stage where things, like people started reaching out. Um, I did a show uh Bradley Bradley Zero reached out I did a show at the Bussy building traveled to the states and then it was yeah it was just kind of it's a bit weird cause I never thought of myself as a musician um but I just found myself in yeah a few of these spaces mm. if you didn't think of yourself as a musician did you more see yourself as like a visual artist because you have like paintings and installations alongside all your music um would yeah. you say that visual art is a sort of like different creative outlet? Like, do you kind of put them in different boxes in your head to music? Yeah, that, I, th I think of it as a different, um, I think of it as a different thing. And there's there's times when they overlap completely. Um, and I definitely, I suppose I do still think of myself as um, a visual artist in the fact, just, just because of, um, I... Um, it's more of like a I think of it at least the way I think of it is more an ideas process so when sometimes I'll have a song that's a very um, uh, like uh, I don't know like a minimalist idea of um, I'm going to start with um, a sound like this and it's going to gradually turn into another sound and it, that, that could almost be a drawing a bit like um say Anish Kapoor has this drawing I really like of a square turning into a circle uh, gradually. Um, and so like I've got a lot of songs that are t 
to me they're a clear idea and they they could be an artwork um perhaps but then there's other music that's it's just um maybe a more expressive less conceptual thing um and i've i've i can't help but just find myself thinking about songwriting and um just all the things that i guess recording artists think about i kind of fallen in love with well let's hear a bit more about some of your visual art and yeah your your relationship to being an artist um of the visual kind yeah did you study art like formally i did yeah i i went to art college um and uh i mean initially initially i thought i was going to study maths so i was kind of just under the impression that oh you just do the subject you're best at go to uni and 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 that's what happens um and my art teacher said you know you should look at art college I did and I was I I just didn't realize you could do that um so I went yeah I went to art college and at the time I was um making figurative oil paintings and drawings of you know people and stuff like that and uh I went through this huge like transformation of they basically tried to teach you to unlearn all of that stuff like that isn't necessarily art or art's not just you know making a dope drawing of someone um and so then like my the artwork I was making went through kind of quickly broke down into more and more blocky um visualizations of things until they reached the kind of modernist like monochrome I was making just flat colored paintings um and then I wasn't using paint anymore I was using fabric to stretch canvases and changing the shape it was more about like the object or even the moment when I'm carrying a painting to college on the train and somehow that just feels more interesting than when it gets to the destination um so I start trying to involve friends and people wearing things um touching on clothing um and then eventually I wanted to know how to make the fabric that I was using in these artworks um and I had always remembered the traditional weaving in Sierra Leone um and so I thought I just took that as a a reason to go back to Sierra Leone um which I'd previously I'd only ever been there on family holidays a few times so I kind of went on my ones to Freetown kind of reconnected with family that I didn't know too well um and yeah learned traditional weaving and I started just making uh scarves and just different samples of of fabric um in plain colors and yeah and then but at that same time i was i was already starting to play with music and sound identity um so they've all kind of melded into one one thing and there was one um project more on the like art side of your work the Lewisham project I was wondering if we could talk about that yeah. a bit more um I mean I'm just biased because I went to school in Lewisham so I just want to hear about it okay more. cool yeah but, um, um <laughs> so well uh yeah actually that is funny that mostly actually came out of uh thinking about music I was listening to a lot of um I suppose like people like Mob Deep and um OGs and Don Strapsy and just local artists or, or international artists and 
realizing that um you know that they're evoking such vivid images of a place um and it i i don't know it just felt like it's important to do some the best the things i was appreciating most the, the works of art or music or whatever it was were almost the most personal like it didn't need to be uh glamorous it didn't need to be even uh glamorous necessarily in the most uh gritty way in that like maybe that mob deep is um so i just realized i i just want to start talking about my life the places i know um so yeah i decided to do a, a kind of body of work at the, i had a studio in lucian art house where i did that exhibition um and yeah i just did this body of work all about lucian um i suppose the diversity of of people that exist in there i was, I was basically what i was trying to do was use um abstracting language um, so the exhibition was called Marseywell, which is an anagram of Lursham. Um, so I was trying to use this basic uh, process of abstracting a thing in a basic way um, to suggest like the diversity of things within it. Um, so the different languages that you might encounter in Lursham, different people, um, or just um, the idea that something that feels so alien something you just don't recognize is actually it's right there it's the place you exist in and you're from um so yeah there was there's a lot in that exhibition I, I, was, I did some video piece about um the battle of lursham which took place in in new cross and all this kind of identity stuff um but yeah that was that was the point where i realized um I need to I need to explore my own life I guess at the time uh I hadn't I hadn't consumed a, a lot of work about Lucian outside of I suppose only only um the grime music I was listening to through my brother at the time was the only stuff I was consuming that felt of that place and and about it um so yeah, yeah that was also this whole thing of like blue borough and eventually the reason I only wear blue and stuff kind of all stems from that. Do you really only wear blue? I do, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really, at this stage, it's just really easy. Um, I basically, I wanted to have, um, you know, this idea of like a lot of Parisians only wear black. I've got friends um, who only wears black and it's it's this practical, almost uniform, like the Barack Obama, Mark Zuckerberg thing. Um, so I wanted that but a colourful version. Um, so I decided blue relating to where I was from. It's like perfect. And so now I've only got blue flow, so I, I can't wear anything else. And friends and people keep giving me blue things. So it's automatic. <laughs> I, I love the commitment to Lewisham. Um, so for people who are listening outside of uh, Lewisham, uh, Lewisham is a part of South East London. Um, and the Battle of Lewisham that you mentioned there that is connected to the inspiration of one of your pieces of work um, happened in 1977 and was like a big anti-fascist protest. Um, there was actually, I recently came across this um, 
this short documentary on YouTube but if anyone wants to learn more about what happened on that day because um, I think even people that went to school in Lewisham weren't even taught about this like quite important yeah. and inspirational moment in Lewisham's history um, but yeah we'll post um, a link to this little documentary in the description of this podcast because it, it was just really insightful came across it about two months ago or something it hasn't got very many views because it's only titled august 13th what happened like there's no wow. other context as to what the video is i don't think um, i've seen that but it is oh I'll, I'll send you the link it's actually just very insightful and kind of makes you like realize that lewisham's really been about this for like a number of years and i feel like if we'd yeah. have got taught that um we would have been able to be like even more proud of the borough the time when we were growing up 100 so, yeah. percent. um but getting back onto music um i'd like to hear about some of the changes that you saw yourself go through and the kind of difference in process that you notice yourself adopting between like second and third albums like did you have different approaches that you developed um i guess what the second so the second record was just a solo piano record and was very much about like compositions and uh yeah these very like simple ideas and just um thinking about translating the idea of like a, a hip-hop loop um and also colors thinking about like translating colors into notes and what happens when they mix so the idea that you um the artworks uh the three primary colors red yellow and blue and the idea that the more you mix colors, the more you add notes and tones and like frequencies, you you end up with a brown. Like, you know, when you mix paints, you get a brown. You're supposed to get black, actually, but um, you end up with this kind of mucky brown color, which I also liked because it was this play on identity as well, being someone of color. Um, and yeah, then the Senam records, uh, I... I suppose I felt like I wanted to just explore more of um, maybe the hip hop and beat making elements and also um, I suppose romantic Japanese um, almost like the artists like Sakamoto and Joe Hisaishi and people like that that I was listening to um, they they have this kind of Ravel, Sati, Debussy kind of vibe to them but also often employing like synths and things like that so that comes in towards the end of the record um and but the main thing of that was uh it was it was yeah the storytelling of translating what i was going through um exploring my identity going back to freetown uh relationships with people also like um the unromantic side of relationships or the funny side of realizing that some relationships are about money and family are just hollering me on whatsapp just like hey listen send me this I, I need help with this and that um and then now uh well basically this the project i've been working on recently it's been over the last started over the last two years actually um all of the work was uh thinking about um i suppose therapy and this idea of um art therapy and music being this this vessel to allow the maker like I mean just through making being a, a form of therapy almost like running um, sometimes you just need to to do something to get 
this clear headspace um and then also for the listeners like obviously as just someone that just consumes music all the time it's completely um you know understand that music is a thing that gets you through a lot of situations um but then also i was i was still using that same process of sampling um voice notes but also youtube clips um when i was working on the record in london at that stage i had uh, a lot of self-help uh things that i was consuming on youtube that i sampled and put into the into the tunes um and actually i was in la working with Rodez mcdonald's um kind of revising this body of tunes and we decided that actually we realized a lot of them they're there or a lot of them actually inspired a track um but we could pull them out and it's, it's maybe something only i hear but there's like this ghost of these samples that are there and the meaning the meaning's there but i didn't need to have it there as such a maybe obvious reference or um and yeah also like i mean this stuff that i'm making right now is definitely the most collaborative projects i've ever i've ever done i wanted to um yeah just be open to things happening the idea of um other people being able to help and being part of i suppose like a a community being part of a solution rather than just having to conquer this thing of making individually yourself um i feel like i've i've kind of expressed a lot of what i'm about individually and so it's nice to yeah just be way more open to what other people can bring mm. yeah i was going to ask about um collaboration because you've got kind of a few regular people that i can see that you work with um like more than once yeah. now um how does that headspace differ when you're on your own making something to when you've got like a whole another person to work with um i suppose it's all through conversation at like my the people i collaborate with regularly that it's just um it's basically i'm i'm so comfortable with them they they literally friends and family or people I've met through music that have become actually good friends so I'm in such a comfortable space and we all kind of know what each other's about so we're just we're just happy to make and also it's a, it's a trusting thing of um I suppose if if you're just put in a session with someone it's a bit like oh I don't know you I, I'm not quite sure even what's going to happen with these recordings some people almost would do a session and be like that's mine I'm using that put it out without telling you and it's that can be a bit daunting um so there's I suppose trust is a big part of it so we're just open to um doing things knowing that yeah you trust the other person with whatever might happen with it and you've got some quite major production credits too um tell me about working on a track for Solange uh yeah that was that was a surprise um I didn't so I didn't work with her um I would love to do that but um I think so the basically I found out the night before that dropped um when she tweeted something that sounded like my music I was like what's going on um and I think basically um a kind of friend or at least pen friend uh, producer Black Noise a DJ um from Detroit he I think he had shared my music with Earl Sweatshirt 
um and he had brought it to solange's studio and ended up sampling it um on the track uh dreams which is so it's taken from my track no from the senam records uh and yeah honestly it's just a great thing to be a part of and know that people like solange and oh hearing i they're hearing something in my music that feels important in some way yeah that's huge yeah yeah no 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 you know your father got cash mine's got cash ifs got cash you guys no. have cash lot of lot of no. plenty plenty boku 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 money you get boku no. money so my brother you can cancel on today and go back to tomorrow no. already get for do once you get the mula you get the cash boy okay mate no. hey where is my wife Phoebe? And my sweetie Natalie. Let's focus on your label, Carrying Colour. Um, what would you say the kind of ethos is of the label? Why did you want your own label? Uh, yeah, I'd, so I realised after um, doing the Brown Loop record, I kind of um, got myself into a situation where I wasn't in control of my own music. Basically, I'd handed over my master's. Um, and that ended up getting really tricky, turning a bit sour. Um, and yeah, I learned a lot about the music industry, how it works, um, and basically came to the conclusion that I need to own my masters um, and also just be in control of how I'm putting out my stuff because um, I'm not aspiring to necessarily just be as big as I possibly can be. I just want to, I want it to feel, feel right. Um, and also a lot of a lot of the things I appreciate the most um from big and small artists that it's like um enjoying their world i guess their aesthetic and and that not everyone has to do the same things a lot of even a lot of what the bigger corporations and entities do a lot of them are great, and I do enjoy consuming those things but it's i think it's it's nice when you have little pockets of people doing different different things as much as possible so i wanted to, i wanted to do that and um the ethos i guess is uh i don't know, I, I suppose i want it to expand beyond me um to be a like platform for other artists to be able to use um and i suppose uh I, don't, I suppose it will inevitably have an aesthetic that I'm into about it, but uh, yeah, I'd like people to be free to do what they want to do as much as possible. Um, it's about any if if I if I put out someone else's record, I want them to own all of their copyrights and stuff like that. Um, but also, it's, it's the idea that it can because I own it, I'm able to uh, release stuff when I want. I can take a two-year hiatus if I feel like that's important and I can also drop things in a week or at whatever rate I want to and then maybe I'm going to explore publishing and photography or film production um so it's very open and um I kind of think of it like a this quirky seasonal shops maybe like somewhere in Italy that's just you know they're, they're just closed they decide they're closed for six months 
and then they open when they want to open and each one's different do you have an idea of what you'd be looking for if you were to invite someone else to release music with the label um not not really it's constantly changing actually i was thinking about this a lot of there are there are artists that i think are, are great and maybe um not as known about now and some friend stuff um which i'd love to release if if they wanted to um but also i think there's obviously there's so much discussion about diversity going on right now um which is obviously needed um and so i want to i suppose obviously consciously um think about um i suppose yeah who i'm working with in terms of maybe like race geographical location um gender sexuality all that stuff um i'm i'm aware of but also i, I think diversity of ability is a quite important thing that isn't spoken about as much and um also in my own music the um a lot of the things i think that are unique are is they come out of not being a virtuoso not being technical technically um proficient like a lot of great musicians are um it's almost like i think of it like a someone from somewhere else someone if you hear say a portuguese person speaking english and it's not perfect they they might end up saying something really beautiful and poetic that we wouldn't say just because of how the wording is different and i feel like that happens in music when you haven't conquered your instrument and you can't articulate exactly what's in your mind you get these happy accidents um so that's definitely something i'd like to work with i guess somehow mm. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. I can definitely understand that. Um, before we move on to really getting into talking about your current album, um, we have kind of mentioned Too Sim briefly, but I'd like to just hear a bit more about it because it's kind of my favourite oh, um, of what I've heard so far out of yours. Um, just because I love like documentaries and storytelling and to me like this EP is a documentary um, and it's kind of suspended in these um, soundscapes that you've created it's like you've just made a space for people's thoughts to exist outside of their brain but you're still in this kind of state where it's not 100% like tangible or like I don't know planned yeah. but you are end up witnessing something that's kind of really intimate um, so for people who don't know about the project would you be able to sort of talk me through it even starting with um, what the title means for, for those that don't know yeah so um, uh, Two Sim um, I made it a few years into spending time in, in Sierra Leone um, and basically I came across this phrase something that people say in Sierra Leone they'll call someone a Two Sim um, which is basically like they're calling you a, a phone that has two SIM cards so you're someone that travels to and from Sierra Leone and, and somewhere else, maybe America, UK. Um, and I just thought it was a really, um, I don't know, it's just a clever analogy um, to use. And basically at that time I was, I suppose that the initial um, maybe like magic of returning to Sierra Leone and, and feeling like this is wonderful, you know, I'm Sierra Leonean, I'm here. Um, this and that I started to see 
and feel the more nuanced things um maybe that uh make me feel alienated or just understanding my position in that context so in in sierra leone um I'm of mixed heritage. My my father's Sierra Leonean and Ghanaian. My mum's English, um, but in Sierra Leone, I'm I'm seen as a white man, which is kind of surprising to a lot of people here. Um, and also being, I don't know, being in a, a context of such a a poor country um, and seeing, you know, seeing everything around you. I didn't want to just be. Um, I suppose talking about Sierra Leone in an idealized way almost like I'm an ambassador for tourism for Sierra Leone I want to talk about again like my specific life there and I feel like there are actually a lot of people in a situation like me where um, you're going back to a place where you have heritage um, and you're trying to understand that so basically I went about um just conducting interviews with friends uh, that are in a similar situation, they're Sierra Leonean, but they might travel. Um, and interview my, my father, my mother, uncles, aunties, um, friends, and then also incorporating, uh, yeah, a bunch of field recordings. And yeah, just exploring, I suppose, when I, when I initially, I made Senam, all of those WhatsApp recordings that are in there, they're, they're very unique and um, they're ge they're genuine, you know. Like when I got them, they surprised me, and I couldn't I couldn't do that again because I'm too aware of it. Um, so this this was a more deliberate exploration of identity, um, and yeah, just a bunch of interesting things came out of it. I suppose I was I was surprised at how. Uh, how um i don't know just the emotions other people felt that I, I hadn't seen or been aware of um and that so many people feel alienated even though if you see them you see them as are oh, they're part of the thing you feel that outside of um and yeah musically I, I suppose i was just incorporating a lot of things that were happening there's the track first rain um which is basically after the dry season there's a huge storm that almost rolls over the hills it's kind of the sky turns brown and there's a kind of huge dust storm um and then the rains the rains come down hard and i was in the compound with my cousins and uh who are y young kids and they were so excited that the first rain was coming they were singing and dancing running around and praying um and i so i recorded that at the time and that was this kind of broody emotional song just trying to invoke the feeling of what's going on then um and another one uh botany road is yeah it's just documenting traveling from uh from my house in freetown going on a walk with friends up uh basically up through leicester road to um towards where furabay college is it's on it's on one of the hills above freetown it's the oldest university in west africa um but we the way we traveled was kind of on the off-roads and yeah you can just hear the sense of place passing people playing football and stuff like that you put out your single slave this year 
Um, and I've kind of been reading a little bit about um, the journey that you went on last year with buying back your own masters and you've mentioned it um, in what we've been talking about today so far. Um, but where did you begin with doing that? Like, first of all, how did it come to your mind that that was something that you needed to do for yourself and how difficult was the process? Um, well, basically, uh, I had signed away my masters um, when I re-recorded an album with someone else. And basically, it was kind of all good for a while because, uh, I don't know, we didn't disagree on anything, nothing came up. And then basically there was a a sync deal that came in, which is basically when someone wants to use your music in a film. Um, and the email came in to me and the person that owned the masters. And they they kind of just very quickly dismissed it. They said like, no, you're not using, you're not using this music in this film, like without discussing it with me and then the person replied it was a really quick email exchange they replied oh I'm, I'm sorry please we're like we really want to use it we'll up the budget a bit and he was like no no we're not using it um so I was just kind of like what's going on um and then I spoke to that person and they said well you know if you want to if you want to I own the masters so I decide what happens to them if you want to if you want to do something with them you you could buy them back for an ex I asked him how much he wanted for them and it was kind of extortionate what I felt was an extortionate amount of money to buy back my my own music um at which stage I kind of started to go about getting a lawyer and reading up on everything um and that although it was just one album and I know a lot of people are in much worse situations um being out of control like that it started to mess with basically like my mental health. I would get crazy anxiety and like I had a, a quite a strong bitterness about that situation. Um, and yeah, eventually it was a case of I had, a, a, this was like a, a year or two later, I'd got enough money to actually buy them back. We renegotiated the price obviously. Um, but I just, I started to just become aware of, you know, speaking to, a few people in the music industry, different A and Rs and stuff, and there's I realise there's a there's a institutional practice. Um, it's not 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 that it's, everyone does this, but there are a lot of people in in the music industry that um, that I felt like they're they're befriending me, and I naively felt like that you know these people are my friends, but at the same time they're offering me these contracts which you know when you really look at the wording of these contracts they're, they're pretty extortionate um so i felt like there's there's a problem of artists basically being exploited by particularly record labels um and it's it's business but i feel like um a lot of people don't know what they're getting into and just wanted to raise awareness of that and i feel like um in the video to slave at the end where I'm with Nipsey Hussle and Prince on the top of the mountain and we offer our hand out to the, the kind of nasty a and it's, it's, it's this idea of there's a future of working together of partnership rather than um, exploitation or completely avoiding the music industry. Um, so yeah, it's nice, it's nice to be on the other side now where I'm 
in control of in control of my music and yeah um I feel like we need to talk about the video because it's amazing um and do you know what actually everyone listening needs to pause this podcast and go and search for the video for the song slave um, and watch it and then come right back to us uh, <laughs> because it is amazing and what are the characters made out of plasticine yeah it's all plasticine uh stop motion uh so i made as myself and a good friend of mine max Feliz today who's a sculptor um we had an intense week together in my studio in rotherhithe um yeah basically making little figurines of ourselves and all these music industry characters and i'd written um a storyline to it and yeah it was i've never made a stop motion video before but we just we just kind of attacked it and yeah it's it's wild it's 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 quite imperfect um but that's all that's all part of it i guess yeah i mean trust me no one else can see that it's imperfect it looks it looks so good it's (laughs) such a good um way of bringing this story to life which is like not over complicated like it's really direct and it's like it's also very endearing and sweet and sad in places particularly talking about how you've personified the wav file into a little character yeah those are your masters and you go on this journey to reclaim them and like bring them to safety it's all very yeah it's very powerful but it's very easy to understand as well initially i was i was gonna have me actually giving birth to the wav file but (laughs) we kind of slightly veered away from that um but yeah it's also actually I, i was wanting to explore as well as like the music industry is the idea of um personifying the music file itself um starting to think about like artificial intelligence and um basically i feel like it's inevitable that we're going to reach conversations about civil rights for for robots and artificial intelligence and just this idea that we we produce a, a piece of music and it gets infinitely replicated and has no power over its own destiny is a kind of interesting uh topic i guess Mm. and then um obviously you've kind of brought to life the uh clip of pharrell talking that's in you can hear it in the song but you've um animated that in plasticine too um how did you feel when you first heard that clip of pharrell and kind of what um resonated the most with you yeah I i thought it was wicked um it's quite interesting because I, I guess there's a lot of people that have spoken out about this issue before, like um, especially Prince was a bit ahead of his time talking about ownership and actually he actually was famous for writing Slave on his face when he was performing. Um, but yeah, kind of came out of the blue hearing that from Pharrell because um, I, I hadn't seen him as such a, uh, I don't know, in, in, in my eyes as like an activist in that way. Um, and yeah, he just articulated it perfectly talking about um, the wording within the contracts where um, they actually refer to slaves and masters within recording contracts, which is, um, it's just a kind of crazy terminology. Um, and it, it and talking about explo- exploitation and all of these things. Um, so yeah, he, he touches on the history of um, particularly um, black artists being um, exploited in the music industry which I think is interesting but it, it's definitely an issue that relates to everyone that's involved uh, in music 
So the song Slave appears on your new album Help. Where and when was the bulk of this album made? Is this is this lockdown music or from before? Uh, it's not lockdown music. It's from before. Uh, it's been a year and a half or two years in the making. Um, uh, some of it was from home in London. Um, bits were recorded in Sierra Leone. Um, there's a one track uh, called Look, which features a sample of Ellsworth Kelly, where it's, it's, it's a piano recording um, in Freetown next to the street. And you can hear um, the traffic passing by, which because it's looped, they almost become these kind of sounds that they're, they're like brushed drums. Um, and then basically I had this body of work um, and I talked with Rodave McDonald's, um, a producer, about working together and actually flew out to LA to work with him specifically on this. And we had a quite amazing like five, six days working in his studio and then in Electrovox, which is like a live recording studio um, in LA. And we had, yeah, a few people came through. Um, Vegan, who's a friend and obviously like amazing producer. He was there for a lot of those sessions. Uh, Twin Shadow came through. Um, and yeah, that was a really intense, okay, we're working on this project moment. Um, and then there were a few refinements that happened after and it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny to work on a project that has taken so long to release in relation to my other records. Um, but it also feels it feels nice to spend time with the music myself and and basically feel confident that um, you know if it if it still sounds good to me, it's going to resonate with some people. Mm. And you got some family on there as well, your brother and sister. Yeah, my brother Mars is playing trumpet on Fall Again. And yeah, my sister Isabella, she's um, she says something quite interesting on the record, which is, uh, it's kind of like a skit, which comes in before Fall Again. And she says things don't always get better. Um, it's not just a matter of time. And uh, that was basically a response to me asking her, uh, it's a question that comes from Peter Till. I don't know. Do you know who Peter Till is? No. He's this kind of, um, he's this really interesting Silicon Valley executive guy who invested in Facebook and stuff like that and um, founded PayPal. And anyway, he he's a very interesting character. I like him in a lot of ways and I don't like him in a lot of ways, but he has uh, something in his book called Zero to One where he says he always asks um, people that he's going to invest in to tell him some what's something true that most people disagree with um and so i asked izzy that and and her response was that things don't always get better um which i think she's maybe articulating something she felt internally maybe about herself or something like that but um i felt like it also relates to something that peter till touches on um which is this idea of you know everyone believes that things just get better by themselves without us actively making any ch changes. We just assume people are working on, you know, everything infrastructure, like the the idea that in the fifties, um, you know, they thought by now in 2020, we've, we've been flying cars and all of this stuff and all we've got is our mobile phones. Um, so I just thought that's, that's an interesting thing. And then obviously what we're going through right now with social changes and everyone fighting for, um, the various different, you know, social changes and, you know, 
every basically everything everything that's going on right now is actually I, I feel like um i guess we're waking up and realizing that we're not we're not necessarily in a better place than we were however many years ago and um maybe i don't know maybe when you have figures like we had you know like blair and obama and there's this kind of symbolic um idea that we're making progress um and now i guess with with like trump and boris it's like you know people are way more aware of the actual situations that we that we've always been in and that we've been in before before them um and so i, I just think it's an interesting thing it's, it's, it's it comes across as quite pessimistic but i feel like it's almost like a a call to to make things better um yeah so, so the families families on the records again <laughs> would you say that um sort of feelings around like what your sister said and um similar things are like some of the feelings that you poured into this album and some of the feelings that fuel this album or i'd just like to know a bit more about like what kind of feelings you were putting into the making of this album um but yeah i kind of went through some changes at at the start um it was a lot of feelings just like that and also um got some samples of um my friend max who helped me with the video um talking about just wanting to be alone and um yeah just experiencing i guess like depression and um a certain level of anxiety and uh agoraphobia just um just i don't know, just feeling like kind of corners um a lot of that yeah there's there's a lot of that that fueled the making of um what were i guess the demos of it and then i kind of i don't know if it was this the process of making the record and working with other people but like um i feel like i've crawled out of a lot of that it's still something um i guess i, I deal with on a level but um yeah it, it became maybe more more positive it's not it's not really um there's there's a meditative vibe to the record i would say um particularly a lot of the the later tracks there's it's quite soft and repetitious but then there's like this kind of like bubbling drums i mean like vegan he layered in a lot of really incredible i don't know how to describe them they're just like soft drums that bubble in and out under underneath a lot of the tracks um yeah i think when you um listen to the album in one go there is a lot of feeling and that is definitely like super present for me at least um but there's also plenty of space um to process everything that you are communicating to us as the listeners um how important is it to you to like add in extra space into your music uh yeah i mean i think uh i guess I think the best music uh has a confidence um to yeah to allow for space and it's that thing of um you know you're presenting something like it's like a great narrator will tell a story they have you hanging on edge and they're not not using words that mean nothing they're not swearing because you know you don't need to that's the thing you do when 
you're nervous and you're not confident in what you're saying. So I guess, um, yeah, I, I try to, it's, it, as much as possible, I'm trying to say like, this is this is it. Um, there's a, a thing I've talked with a lot of friends about, um, I feel like in different ways, we're all trying to push instrumental music as well and say, you know, like this is it, this is enough. Not every track has to have a vocal to be seen as a track and thought of and I I think I obviously I guess you know as as a DJ it's like it's so much about how you present a track um more so than a track in itself having to have these things it's it's, it's kind of the moment it's about how you consume music how you choose to listen to things um yeah so I I I, I try to pair things back what would you hope that listeners um take away when they engage with this record like what message would you want to share um to a company listening to this album i guess it just gets i hope it gets people through stuff through their situations um in and kind of like maybe soothes what some people are going through um and then i hope it empowers maybe some someone to think uh yeah i think the same things think that you know you can uh, you can make soft piano music and it still be hard I like um, yeah I don't know I don't, I don't really want to tell people what to think too much but um, I guess it, it's it's like a um, I don't know I want it to be like a hug I guess Oh, that's that's lovely <laughs> and very well received um thank you so much for uh, bringing us into your world today it's been like super insightful so thank you for giving up the time uh thank you so much for taking the time i uh, really appreciate it martha <laughs>